you can introduce this week. Yeah. All right, you ready? Yeah, go for it. Okay, well, hello everyone and welcome to the UK Wildlife Post... Po- oh. Good start. Oh, <laughs> you're just going to the it. adult version now. <laughs> Go on, try again. Oh, let's start again. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast. Um, I'm Victoria Hillman. I'm Neil Phillips and I'm in charge of editing, so you probably have heard that bit at the start. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> I put a beep in, it's fine. <laughs> yeah put a beep in you're fine um so i hope everyone's been well and just want to say a really big thank you to everyone who's listened to um our introductory episode and also our first full episode of the podcast um hope you've enjoyed them so far uh, we've got another exciting one for you now and we're actually going to discuss uh, starting off with things that we've been seeing in this last week uh chat a little bit about we're actually going to cover migration as our subject tonight uh, or today I should say um, and then actually just kind of cover a bit of wildlife news so uh, well I can honestly say I've actually haven't really seen anything this week as I'm still recovering from shoulder surgery so I haven't been out and about um, so I think we'll leave the wildlife sightings completely up to you this week Neil. Fair enough um, I'm trying to think what I saw earlier in the week but nothing I'm sure there was something good but um, I had a, a fun must can't be more than an hour um, well, first of all, this morning, I finally saw a pair of ravens that I've been hearing for the last, um, well, since t- last two months or so, I've been hearing them um, up in North Essex. And uh, then, what did I say? Then, what happened first? Yes, yeah, so I was sitting in my office, looking out the window, um, and I could see a starling feeding out in the middle of um, the lawn that's there. And thought, oh, it's a bit odd, a lone starling. Looked down at my computer carried on typing and then I heard um I think it was a song or missile thrush do its alarm call and a load of other alarm calls looked out and there was a mouse sparrowhawk sat on top of that starling which was uh rather cool to see uh, I've got some rubbish pictures through the window and by the time I snuck around to where I could get a better picture it had completely disappeared of course um typical yeah always away isn't it yeah then I wandered down towards the river um and I keep hearing what sound like kingfisher calls but I'm pretty sure they're wrens or something uh, something much more common doing that sort of vaguely kingfishery chirp. Um, and then I heard a chirp, looked up, and there was a blue flash. So I finally saw a kingfisher. About going look, trying to get closer to kingfisher, I saw some gold crests. Um, and, uh, yeah, then in the river, out came a rough. So I've got a rough... So that was a new species of fish for me. All within the space of an hour, which I thought was pretty good going. So... Uh, Oh, it definitely beats the single little wren that I have that comes and sits on the fence in our garden. Um, oh. That's pretty much all I've seen in this last week. Has to be said. Uh, I've got some birds coming into the garden now. I think the cold weather's started them off a bit. You know, coming into the gardens for food. So definitely, we've got to do that. Yeah, well, we've got a little, uh, we've got a little flock of hedge sparrows actually that kind of come mm. um, across the gardens and fly over every day. Don't come feed in my I garden. believe I believe you mean hedge centaur, as we have to call them yes. now, or dunnock, which is a much better name. Well, yeah. The most promiscuous of birds. There's a nice right. little flock of them that fly oh. past. Nice. Oh. Fair, oh, my, when you say hedge sparrow, do you mean house sparrow? Yes, I do mean house sparrow. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. See that yeah. this is it. You know, you have surgery, and that's it. Your brain goes to complete mush for weeks. You have no yes. idea what's going on. 
I will be back on it. Mind you, it's birds. Yeah, it's birds. There's a small flock of brown birds that fly across my garden every day. Brown feathery things. Yes, there is lots of brown feathery things. Small brown feathery things. But the wren I know, and he comes and sits on the fence every day. Um, I do like a good wren. And the blackbirds actually are still using the pond to wash in. So I've seen a couple of blackbirds this week as well. Yeah, I think, or probably covers in migration, but a lot of the continental birds have started turning up in the UK blackbirds but we'll mention that a bit later i think a bit more I try to think, oh one thing that's quite interesting that happened there's a um so it's technically wildlife but a ginkgo tree um which i think are pretty cool being a paleontologist because i've seen fossils of their leaves from what over 60 million years ago that are identical to the modern ones almost um but we it was a lovely yellow leaved tree um, monday when i went home and tuesday morning in the frost you could literally see clumps of leaves falling out of it so it obviously decided right it's winter now it's a bit like a a certain scene in monty python's holy grail where the season's jumping around but um yeah yeah actually yeah no now you mentioned it is because i've been out for a few walks this week not really seen much in terms of wildlife but there's been a big difference in you know one day the leaves are still on the trees and like a couple of days later there's just no no leaves on the trees now. They've pretty much all just mm. gone. And you know, certainly around here, they seem to have gone green, brown on the floor very quickly mm. um, within the last week or so. So it's, yeah, quite strange. Definitely winter on its way. And with some parts having snow last week as well. Um, we didn't get it here, but on top of the Mendip Hills, there was actually quite a covering, I believe, um, of snow. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it got down to minus six here in Essex. Someone was telling me I don't know how accurate that is. It's certainly below, well below zero, put it that way. The thickness of the frost melted very quickly, though. But, uh, yeah, we had a frost one morning. We had quite a heavy frost here. Tuesday morning, probably. That's when we had it, anyway. Yeah, quite possibly. I think we had another one yesterday. I think morning. we had, we had two consecutive. I think it was probably Tuesday and Wednesday. Mm. Um, Wednesday cleared up much quicker than Tuesday. Be interested to see how if any more dragonflies are hanging around. Uh, there's a vagrant emperor currently sitting in um, Sandwich or near Sandwich in uh, Kent, and people have been it's just been sat in the same sort of few meters of a hedge, and people have been going to visit it for days, which is quite amusing. So how long that how long will that will last? I don't know. Being that it's a, a desert species almost, but um, well, I think it would have got a shock this week then, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think I can't remember when it turned up. It might have turned up after the frost actually. It's been there a few days, that's for sure. Okay. Interesting. I think I'm gonna have a look at that. Yeah, definitely, definitely gonna get a shock though. I think once it starts to get colder. Mm. Yeah, I've not yeah. seen the other records of dragonflies, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, I was hoping to get some break my record. If I if I see a dragonfly now, it'll be the latest I've ever seen one. But yeah, I think we might have pretty much had it with the dragonfly season, apart from the nymphs, yeah. obviously. Yeah, I think you might be able to like that, but you never know. You never know. Never know. Especially these vagrant emperors buzzing around. They they can turn up in January and December. And yeah. Quite migratory. Well, which actually leads us quite nicely onto our topic for this evening or for tonight, doesn't it? It's almost professional. I can't remember the name of it, which makes it sound less professional, but leading to the next subject. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's a word for it, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah. Write in, listeners, and tell me what it is. before. I... <laughs> yeah, let us know what that word is. Yeah, if we get anything um, wrong, guys, do feel free to come in and correct um victoria when she gets it wrong and, uh... <laughs> and neil i've got an excuse i'm not entirely sure what neil's excuse is right now um but i'm sticking with my excuse um 
So, yeah. <laughs> My excuse is I have two children. That's a good one. That's t- it's two young children as well, though. So, you know, I think you know, you have that one. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I'll pretend they keep me up at night and stuff. They don't. They sleep really well. It's really nice. But, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, migrations. Yes. We thought that it would be a really good topic to touch on and like discuss at this time of year because it is the time of year that we start to see, um, you know, a lot of our, our migrant bird species actually coming in. Um, and we're actually not going to talk that much about um, migrating birds tonight i mean we did touch on on it a little bit with the shorted owl in the last episode um but just to give you a brief introduction when we look when we kind of discuss migrations we're looking at like the relatively long distance movement of animals um usually on a seasonal basis either for breeding or food availability overwintering visiting in the summer and i think you know birds are definitely probably best known for you know migrations when you mention migrations the third, first thing that probably pops into your mind is it's probably birds in the uk i think you know mm. wouldn't you agree neil it's definitely yeah yeah that's yeah that's always that's the first thing i think of generally but yeah but. And, and you know with with bird migrations it is very much you know a lot of our species migrate you've got the ospreys obviously that come in every year for breeding um yeah a lot of our a lot of our smaller birds migrate and we were starting to see you know, the numbers of starlings, as Neil mentioned, actually, yeah, he saw a starling yeah. this week. We're seeing the numbers build, you know, gradually here. We have the big roost on the sunset levels and, and numbers are definitely building there. And a lot of those are actually come up from Europe. So they're not, you know, they're not our resident birds. Yeah, that um, happens a lot, a, lot, a lot of the common birds and what we think of as resident birds, the numbers are boosted, aren't they? And even some of, our, some of what we think of resident birds will travel south as well. So you'll have some robins coming in, um, and my mind's on blank. Oh, blackbirds, of course. Come, we'll get some more blackbirds coming in. There, um, I believe they have a paler beak. A lot of the Scandinavian ones. That's something I'm going to have to do some follow-up in the next episode to double-check. But um, in fact, if you keep talking, Victoria, I'll in no way check it on on uh, Google right now. <laughs> okay. Well, we're we're actually not really going to kind of touch on bird migrations that much tonight because i think we could probably cover that in an entire episode um but we actually thought we might we'd look at some other species that migrate and you know it's not just the birds so i think we're going to start with amphibians because (laughs) why not um it allows me to get frogs into, into this episode um but legitimately get them in um because you know our our the native species that we have in the UK here, they do migrate to their breeding ponds every year. Sometimes it's not huge distances. It could just be, you know, from one area of a garden or to another. Um, probably the best known ones, there's been a lot of publicity about toad patrols and they're there to help migrating toads, you know, across busy roads. And that is, they're going from overwintering sites to their breeding ponds. They'll breed and then they'll, you know, disperse and then come autumn time, they actually migrate um, back to their over overwintering sites. And, you know, some of those can actually be quite big for quite a small animal. Um, but there's actually other things that migrate as well. So um, bats, uh, we mm. do have uh, bat species that migrate. The pipistrelle bats migrate in autumn from the north of the UK to overwinter further south. Um, and some actually reach 
um, go as far as Europe, um, mm. which is quite interesting for such a little bat as well. Yeah, there's the um, Nefusilus pipistrel um, that come. That they've, I think they're Estonian. They found one in, in Kent from Estonia overwintering here because we have a more mild winter than they do, which mm. is a rather cool thing. I just, I just thought of it reminded me of um, talking about bats. There's the we have a nocturnal bat here, and I may be getting the species wrong. I think it's the greater nocturnal bat. It's only found sort of around Gibraltar. It's got a weird distribution in Europe, around Gibraltar area, and also towards the Greek end, um, basically either end of the Mediterranean. And they specialise at this time of year, well maybe a bit earlier in the year, feeding on small passerines because that's um, where they're migrating at night time. And they'll take them out as they migrate through. Which oh, is, wow. There's a bat that feeds on birds, which is rather cool. That is, yeah. Must be a, read, read a fairly substantial ago, bat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, right. so, well, the nocturnal is our biggest bat, and it's the greater nocturnal. So, uh, it's going to be a pretty big one. Hmm. That's quite interesting, because you've got then those bats taking on, you know, taking migratory birds. Yeah. So then they're not technically British. They'll be eating British birds. So just sneak it into this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it all, you know, I think it actually really shows how much it all really in you know there's so much interplay and why it's so important that we have all these wildlife corridors because you know with all the species migrating there's other species that maybe don't migrate that depend on migrating species for for food sources mm. um, so it's really really kind of important on that side of things so we've touched on amphibians and bats um, and there's actually another one that probably i'm not going to mention it just yet because i think when people hear you talk about this particular animal their minds probably go to north america and canada this one i'm going to get neil to guess that guess the animal i'm talking oh, about god here we go um you know when we talk about this particular animal migrating in the autumn time um bison <laughs> That's exactly what it is, bison. Oh, no way. No, it's not uh, at all. Oh, well, I, I thought we haven't even introduced European bison. Have I missed something in the news? <laughs> no, it's not bison at all. Sorry, Neil. Um, oh. Yeah, I think if, if you talk, talk to people and you say, oh, you know, about this particular animal, and we, and we, don't, we don't actually refer to it as a migration, more of a, a run, although it's not actually technically running. Um, and they actually this will give it away now they actually migrate from the sea into fresh water oh salmon of course salmon should, atlantic salmon should have, got that. should have guessed <laughs> that jack um jack perks has been uh filming them in scotland recently spawning and stuff so yeah and they're, they're quite an interesting one i think people don't realize that we actually have them mm. you know here in the uk that migrate as well and there are places you can go and see them mm. um doing that sure. i mean they're it's a good know, one really in yorkshire yeah um is it up in scotland as well you've got them up there and um yeah that's one i think yeah you, you talk to people about migrations they probably wouldn't even think of a fish no. you know it's migrating not you know not within our shores but it's, yeah because yeah. you've got sea trout as well that do very uh, sea trout are brown trout they're the same species in fact apparently the same clutch of eggs can have some individuals that will migrate into the sea to feed up and grow large um and within that and then some of them will stay in fresh water the whole time they'll move they'll migrate up and down the river a bit um there's eels as well isn't there yeah eels migrate yeah like off to sargasso sea somewhere to breed deep down um and then come back to breed 
Mm. But less but that, and less at the moment. Yeah, and I think the one difference with, you know, when we look at something like amphibian migrations or bird migrations, they do that, those individuals, assuming they survive breeding season, whatever, they do it year after year. Yeah. Um, you know, with a lot, certainly with the salmon, when they head back upstream into the fresh water to breed, that's kind of their final act. They don't, you know, a lot of them do actually die after that. Um, yeah. You know, they only do it once in their life. You know, they'll only spawn once in their life. Whereas, so I think it, it was certainly a different, different take on migration, isn't it? Yeah. So sticking with a fish. Oh, ah, sticking with fish. Technically not fish. Lampreys do similar too, don't they? You have a river and sea lampreys. Um, yeah. Yeah. The sea lampreys. Um, for those that know, lampreys are uh, superficially eel-like, um, but they don't have a jaw, which technically means they're not fish. It means they're they're backboned animals, so they're chordates. I don't know what you call them. Not aminotes, that's the wrong word. Um, I forget the word. But yeah, basically they, they're still backboned animals. So they're kind of, the an, our ancestors would have been related to them, but they've turned to a parasitic lifestyle. So they have a larva that filter feeds for a while. Um, and then they're kind of like, um, not fish leeches, but leech fishes, I suppose. And will suck on the blood of and flesh of other, well, of fish. Um, except for the brook lamprey, which spends its whole time as a filter feeder and then turns into an adult and swims upstream to spawn and that's it. But they're, uh, they're amazing things. And I've never seen one in the flesh. I don't think I have. I've seen them on programmes, on TV programmes. Mm. I don't think I've ever well, seen them. Well, apparently there's brook lamprey um, near our work, so uh, fingers crossed. I, I might to... get some at some point. But... Yeah. See, yeah. I, was, I was wondering if we had any, you know, we looking at, I know there are some crab species that do mm-hmm. migrate for breeding um and I, I i didn't know if we had any in the uk i actually struggled to find any information on whether any of our kind of uk-based crab species mm. actually migrate i know the mitten crabs will migrate to brackish water so they'll come into fresh water but they i think they need brackish or marine to breed mm-hmm. that's about as close as i can think of because you get the the big migrations you know of other obviously um mm. Yeah, but I know a lot, a lot of some of the seashore shallow sea species will migrate into slightly deeper water when it comes to winter storm season. Mm. Read that somewhere. And but that's yeah. that. You know, give, gives them greater protection, doesn't it? So. Yeah. So yeah, there's actually, it? you know, quite a lot of species that do migrate when you start kind yeah. of looking into it. Yeah, we can start getting into the whole. Um, you want know, to migration in in. The big lakes, you get a bit like you do in the sea, you get plankton coming up to the surface. Um, I think a lot of phantom midge larva, that's a charborous species, it's like, mm. like a, they, they'll sit in the sediment where there's fish in the daytime and then they'll come out and hunt during the night time when the fish are less active or if, so they don't all get eaten. So I don't know if that counts as sort of a daily migration rather than full on migration, I suppose. I guess it is still. So would it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be classified as a migration. I mean, they they still they're migrating to feed, aren't they? Yeah. It's just on a daily basis rather than, you know, what you know once a season or you know just for breeding season or over winter. Mm. Um. Yeah, it's kind of like well, it's like vertical migration, isn't it? Up and down. Yeah. There. Did you see that um, study? I think did it come out this year or last year that. Um, toads are now migrating shorter distances and poss- I think they might even be smaller size as well um, because of roads so the selection pressure from roads the ones that migrate further 
are more likely to have been run over because they have to cross either a road or more roads than the ones that migrate less from their breeding ponds um and now we're putting on an unnatural selection on them to to migrate less oh, so. i haven't i haven't read that one i did read um somewhere that they don't they now believe they don't kind of migrate in one go so when you know i mean tow patrols generally start as it starts to warm up in february and you've got those warm wet nights kind mm. of in february and it'll go on through most of march and into april i think yeah so i know some of the roads around here are close for about six weeks for that um <laughs> definitely do that but there's <laughs> we, we have a couple of places where they close the roads completely um, and they actually have the, the support of the councils, which is really good. Um, but, you know, they, they now, with some toes, they found that they actually, they do, they kind of partially migrate. They don't go straight to the breeding ponds. They kind of come out, go to little areas and then, you know, gradually make their way rather than having like a mass, you know, mass emergence of migration in one go. Hmm. Which I thought was That's quite interesting. interesting. Yeah. It shows it shows the importance of the habitat around the breeding ponds as well for those toads. Yes. I mean, staying with herpetoles, you get you'll find that for a lot of reptiles, especially, won't they? Then they'll first emerge near their hibernacula, so where they spent the winter, and then they'll disperse. So you'll get lots of them in that ideal area to hibernate, and then they'll disperse across the local habitat, won't they? Mm. Um, when it comes to breed well i think they breed before they might mate before they disperse fully but um, yeah mo most of them mate before they disperse and then come yeah. back in the autumn yeah so they emerge molt breed disperse feed. and go and feed yeah and, and give birth if you're female i guess yeah but, um, yeah it's nice but there's there's one group of animals that we've not yet touched on for my oh, migration yes. well, well they the largest group the invertebrates mm. um, and you probably I don't know you know a lot of people probably think well you know invertebrates don't migrate but they actually do and I think you know this year we had a probably the best known one is is the painted lady butterfly and this year yeah. was a really good year for them actually um, do, you know, do you know they missed us mostly here I, I saw one in my garden to be oh, fair yeah, <laughs> yeah cause there was a mass migration north like we had um or well, 10 years ago but apparently because of the wind direction most of them went to scandinavia not here mm. so there was a big um influx i think it was somewhere in lincolnshire or uh, yorkshire they had, in, in one town they had loads but most of the country missed it yeah it was it, it was somewhere up north that they had this massive influx of painted ladies um i do remember, i remember the one from a few uh, about 10 years ago a friend of mine was on was in dover that day and she said, you could just see them streaming off the sea. You know, he looked up and they'd be, there's one, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. But uh, are you going to cover the life cycle? Did you want to? You can cover that. Oh, yeah. I've got to do it from memory. I've got notes. But, um, I mean, you can't really start a cycle anywhere, but we'll start it sort of probably our winter time in uh, North Africa. Uh, I think it's just North of Sahara, isn't it, I believe? Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so generally sort of, North Africa area. Yeah, sort of subtropical Mediterranean climate. Um, they breed on thistle-like, I suppose you probably would call them thistles, um, plants there. That's what the caterpillars eat. So they'll breed there, um, and they'll probably it'll start to get a bit as it starts to warm up in spring. It starts getting less suitable for them. They probably have eaten a lot of their food plants as well. 
Um, and those caterpillars pupate and migrate north to southern Europe generally. So Italy, Spain, Portugal, places like that, um, Greece. Um, and then they lay their eggs um, and the caterpillars complete their life cycle. And then those adults will then come further north. So you can imagine when you're in a peak here, if they're breeding and then then all the youngsters, you know, they're having, say, I don't know how many eggs. They must be sort of in the hundreds, I imagine, not at least 100 eggs. Um, and they all spread north. You can end up with huge swarms of them. Um, it, people might be familiar with the monarch butterflies in North America, but it's now been found that the um, painted ladies actually go further than the monarchs. So take that, Americans. Um, we've got a European one, much better. Although they have painted ladies too, apparently, in the States. Um, they do. Slightly different, though, yeah. I think. And, so yeah. and then they get up to Britain and Scandinavia. And yeah, I, I think, I believe, um, is it not Noel Park, um, Knapp Farm, you know, the rewilding farm? Oh, yeah, yeah. You heard about that? Um, yeah. I, f- I believe it was there. Um, they were up to sort of their second or third year of the idea, and their fields are full of thistles. The neighbouring farmers are sort of moaning and moaning about them and mocking them. And those painted ladies turned up, decimated the thistles because the caterpillars ate it all. Um, mm. And since then, I haven't looked back because it obviously gave everything else a chance to get going. Um, but that was quite interesting. But yeah, so this huge migration of butterflies, and we used to. F- there used to be a theory that they'd sort of come north and just peter out and die. And that was, you know, they were, they were spreading too far um, for the climate, but it turns out that they were migrating south. They were just doing so at a higher altitude. Um, yeah. Cause they actually head back down, mm. you know, obviously so, those that survive, they head back down to towards southern, North Africa. Yeah. So they have, I don't know if they stop again. I don't know if they go to breed in Southern Africa, um, Southern Europe and then go to Southern Africa, but um, I'm not sure if we know that yet, but uh yeah, I mean, we knew in in wintertime in Africa, all these painted ladies just turned up. So people suspected that's what was going on. But, um, yeah, it was proven a few years. I think it was the year of the big migration. They took advantage of it. Um, and someone was standing in a field with some uh, radar, like a pickup butterflies, which is pretty cool, I think, and scanning the skies, uh, which is rather cool. That's pretty cool. Mm. But it's, yeah, I mean, so, you know, when we it's something to keep a lookout for i mean we do i mean most years we there are records of painted ladies in the mm. uk but oh, then yeah. we we get these like record number years um, yeah. I, mean, I normally see one i normally see one most years in fact weirdly i think i saw less this year i suddenly i think it was august september i got some on my budlier in my garden and i had them for a few days but um yeah i have had more other years um i believe it must, must have been 2009 that peak year I remember now, and the reason I remember is because they were a bit of a pain, because I was trying to photograph swallowtail butterflies in Norfolk, and they kept <laughs> hogging all the flowers. You know, any other year I'd be happy to see them, and any other place happy to see them, but there it was kind of like oh, trying to get swallowtails. But uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Have, have, have you uh, written much? Uh, got any notes on dragonflies? Quite a little bit on dragonflies, um, and it was actually really interesting. You know, trying to you know find some information on it actually because we do know that i mean we get my migrating dragonflies here in the uk um been a record year this year but it's it's one of those i guess a little bit we we're starting to understand more about the painted ladies now but the migration of dragonflies is still really poorly understood we don't really know you know that much about it um you know we know that some species do undertake the migration um a lot of the a lot of the uk migration uh, or for, 
for us here in the UK, a lot of the migration of dragonflies we see, it's actually the arrival of non-resident, you know, often rare species. Mm. And, you know, yeah. that's when, like, people are alerted to it because they have a dragonfly that comes in and we're like, oh, you know, that's not that's not a resident one. Um, yeah, I think, like and you said, it's been, a, it's been a record year for them, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you've got uh, the, the three species. Uh, well, in fact, I'll talk about the migrant hawker first. Um, I guess that's one that is, it was used to be called the um, scarce hawker back in the early last century. And in the 30s, it started to colonise. And now I think it's found in Scotland. And I think it's finally made it over to Ireland in recent years as well. Um, but what you'll get is you'll get, um, well, in Essex, we'll get, first of all, June time, we'll start getting the southern migrant hawker, which is an interesting one as well, because that obviously seems to migrate too. Um, but then probably July, we'll get the first migrant hawkers, really. You start seeing the old one towards the end. August, you get a few more. And then, bam, in September, there's loads everywhere. Um, mm. And that is the ones that have, not just the ones that have bred in this country, but I don't think we know for sure where they come from, but it's quite obvious they're coming over from Europe, so France, Spain, Italy, places like that. Um, and I've seen swarms of three, four hundred at least, buzzing oh, around. Wow. Sort of rarity. Um, I've seen quite a few times, I've seen swarms of about 50 to 100, well, quite twice, two years running around near a sewage works, for obvious reasons, lots of prey. Um, mm. But these guys are, are flying for quite, they must be flying, you know, tens, if not hundreds of miles, because there's just too many of them to have bred locally. So, yeah. Um, but we get, like you say, we get rarer ones. Uh, red vein data, uh, all of these ones are getting increasingly common. Um, they're, they're at most of the bird observatories in the southeast, the Dungeness, uh, Sandwich, and places like that, they get them every year. And what, what we suspect is happening is they're migrating across from Europe. They're breeding in suitable habitat. Um, and then what happens? So they're coming over May time, May, June. So if you see a data in May, it's a good chance one of those. Blue under the, on the underside of the eyes is a giveaway. Um, they very quickly metamorphose and they emerge sort of end of August, September. Um, and you literally see them for a day or two and they're gone. Um, and we suspect they're probably flying south, but I've not been able to find anything to confirm this. So, um, but it makes sense if that's what they're doing. You know, the instinct would be to fly south to where it's warmer again and they can breed down there. Um, mm. in, in Europe, they go through two life cycles in the summer. So, you know, lots of dispersal there. But we've also been getting, uh, some of you may be familiar with the emperor dragonfly, which is our biggest species. But we get the lesser emperor dragonflies turned up increasingly more so i suppose um okay. yeah. i hear a rumor it's every year it occurs at um dungeness again um but it's one of those species that doesn't seem to see this one might not be a strong migrant it might might be one that's trying to colonize more um but it doesn't seem to persist more than a year or two in any sites yet but with climate change who knows but one that definitely is migratory is the uh, vagrant emperor um that is a species that's found in north africa and I believe sort of Sahara as well. And it will lay its eggs in a temporary pond from a rainstorm in, an, in a drier region. I don't want to quite say arid. So I don't know if it's truly desert regions they live in. Um, but you can imagine sort of in southern Spain or somewhere they get a, a rainstorm in summer. They lay their eggs, metamorphose quite quickly. 
and then fly on. And there was hundreds in Belgium this year, and they've you know I think there's only a handful of records there previously. Um, uh, yeah. So and that they 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 seem to move around with the rain as as well as the weather, so or climate or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know the seasons, seasonal weather. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, but they seem to migrate around um, chasing the best conditions. So yeah, it's an interesting species. But again, invertebrates are so um, understudied as a rule that a lot of this stuff we just don't know. No, I mean, it, a lot of it is guesswork. Um, mm. I mean, if anyone wanted to find out more about kind of dragonfly migration, I mean, not that we know that much about it. Um, the British Dragonfly Society actually has a migrant dragonfly project, yep. um, which I, I came across this afternoon, which, you know, well worth a look at if it's something that you kind of want to know a little bit more about. Yeah, and there's a Migrant Dragonflies Facebook group as well, um, okay, yeah. which is quite good for seeing what's going because it, it's people from across Europe, so it's quite, quite you can sort, sort of get a heads up what might be coming our way. Um, and generally you're disappointed, but every so often it does come true. So it's a, you know, just we do get managed to get some of these things. Um, yeah, which I managed to get all three of those species in the UK for the first time this year. So uh, shows you how good it was. Even I found them all. <laughs> I, <even laughs> actually, I actually found one of them, which is pretty cool. Um, like those yeah because yeah. i think we we had i think it was actually last year i can't remember which species it was um something turned up on top of the mendips which you know had a lot of people is that getting, a southern migrant hawker it might have been a southern migrant hawker i remember you mike know, dilger went to see one and he's not far from you so uh, and i think Somerset it way. hadn't been recorded um mm. before that particular site um mm. you know which was and it, it's right on top of the mendips i mean this is the place that last week got snow it's yeah it's a really exposed area um you know it's not it's, it's certainly not somewhere that's sheltered i mean in the winter it, it pretty much will always get snow in the winter i mean last last year you know with, with all the storms and that is where i go to kind of keep an eye on the toad population up there and, you know those ponds can still have ice on them you know in, in wow. march and april time they they get they, they get the brunt of it so i think for it to turn up there everyone's really quite shocked and surprised yeah so and then you get the migration of of photographers and people actually going to yeah. then try and find and photograph said species yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> not full migration yeah which is quite interesting yeah there'll be a shortly be a migration towards lakeside which will with christmas shopping which will make sure i don't go nowhere near <laughs> for the next two months yes that, that wonderful christmas shopping mm. Mm, yes it's the c word it's still november i oh, know we need no, to second move half on. november yeah so, we uh, need we need to pretend yeah. that didn't happen and move on yeah. don't say the b word either the b word the b word the, uh, the word that's on every news story ever oh oh that one three, yeah yeah you see i'm still not completely with it it's great <laughs> oh i envy you <laughs> I'm not going to be news. like this for much longer. So it's fake yeah. news, web, fake websites from parties pretending to be other parties and all stuff going on at the moment. But let's not go into that. Um, no. <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of. I mean, we've had some. Hmm. We did have a, a question about a, a bird turning up. Oh yes. Uh, who was that from? I forget who. Uh, it was. From Alan. Uh, follows yes. us on on Twitter. Yeah. Um, it's it a peregrine that wandered down. Was it Morocco? Oh no, that was so oh, that that was from Robin, um, oh, Robin and that was um, one of the 2019 juvenile peregrines from Taunton um, turned up in Morocco. 
this year. Um, So, um, yeah, we've kind of been discussing that and debating that, whether it actually flew there, whether it, you know, hitched a lift on a boat. Um, They do. I mean, it's interesting. uh, It's similar to migration where you get dispersal. um, And within a species, it makes sense as a species if you have individuals that stay around and other individuals that wander and wander and just try and find new habitat and especially due, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they take it to the extreme i guess youthful exuberance that might be all went for so yeah I did, I did have a look around it try and find some research and they do disperse quite a bit from sort of the russian populations and some of north america i think it was alaska as well mm. um, where it's colder they they do head south um but yeah, I, I'm no expert on such things, but I suspect because it was a juvenile, it was just trying to find its own territory and got a bit carried away, I guess. Or maybe it was genetically inclined to disperse more. And unfortunately, that was a genetic dead end, cause quite literally, because it was found dead, wasn't it? But uh, It was, yeah. It, but yeah, it's, it was. it's a it's a good good advert for um, bird ringing. I know, especially among photographers, there seems to be a bit of resistance to it, but... Um, it, does, good, it, it, it helps us understand data. it, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it, un, it was like, I mean, if it wasn't for, like we discussed in the short out last week, if it wasn't for that bird being, you know, ringed at the nest, we would never have known the journey that that, that owl had taken. Yep. And you know. the um, another one, I mean, I think maybe we need to do a, a proper sort of overwintering birds and migration to- topics. I think it's a whole uh, podcast in itself. If, we, if you could bear a whole thing on birds, um, I do I'll get, get frogs birds in there somehow. Yeah, I, I do get into <laughs> birds a little bit more in winter. Um, uh, I do birds when the other stuff's quiet, as opposed to do, do the other stuff when birds are quiet, like a lot of birders do. Um, and it's the black caps, isn't it? You have know the black caps from Germany that overwinter here. I hadn't heard that one, no. Uh, basically, I think it was in recent years, I think it's literally last couple of decades um the german male german black caps have started overwintering in britain because we have put food out in our gardens um and the ones that overwinter here have to migrate because they normally migrate to southern europe um, north africa sort of area um have less distance to migrate um so they can get back to their breeding grounds quicker and they've used this energy so they've got an advantage over the ones that have done the full migration um, mm. And I believe that was from bird ring data. We've got that. Obviously, satellite okay. tag data is more um, detailed because mm. obviously you've got to start and stop with the ring data. Unless it's stuff you can, um, you know, unless it's a catch and release from bird net. But obviously that happens quite a lot less. But um, yeah, it gives us age data as well, doesn't it, on a lot of these things? Yeah. Uh, which we wouldn't have. But, um, um, yeah, I think we have one other question coming from Alan. Mm. And that was... Um, Thick snow on Exmoor last week. Um, I think most of that's gone now. Yeah. Um, and another migrant that, you know, was seen, it was actually seen in Minehead, but actually doing some research on this, this was seen probably, there were several sightings. Now, whether this was the same bird moving around. Yeah. Um, there were actually several sightings in the Bristol and Somerset area over the last week. So it could actually be the same bird moving around. Um, but it's not... It's not an uncommon bird to see in the UK. It, it's to us, it's a really ex- exotic bird. Um, mm. It's a hoopoe. It is a hoopoe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they are. They. Mm. You have to be they, careful of hoopoes because people have captive ones. 
and there's been there's a few twitches recently i think was it a blue rock rush or something people were twitching for miles around and it turned out to escape from avery just down the road kind of thing and or one village over but um yeah I think there's this interesting thing that some of the migrants i don't know if it's juveniles they seem to go the wrong way sometimes um mm. they, did you well, see I, there's I, a ju- juvenile cuckoo kicking around in the uk as well uh i didn't know yeah someone posted that on twitter as well uh, again some people are saying oh maybe it's been someone's hand reared it and let it go or something like that but um again it could be one that's gone the wrong way or is extremely late but then mm. that would have been extremely late parent birds yeah which be unless it's just not left yet yeah and very very apparently the i forget what county it was now but the latest record was over a month ago so generally cuckoos have gone up by october at the very latest mm. so I, I don't high hold high hopes for that bird no um, not got not going many hairy caterpillars around for it to eat although they do eat worms as i've witnessed no <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, i think apparently that's how that colin the cuckoo at Fursley started uh, for oh, those okay. that know colin the cuckoo is a super tame cuckoo that was at Fursley common this year and last year i think and the year before possibly so the odds are it probably won't be there next year but you know he might uh he might hang no, on he might mm. hang on he comes down to mealworms but he, he apparently originally he was seen eating worms from the ground but i don't know what you know you hear all these stories about things mm. and you get five different versions but yeah, that's quite interesting. The hoopoo, I haven't seen the hoopoo put up. Um, yeah, so um, you know, Alan tweeted us um, this week about it, and he said it was just you know seen that somebody had seen one at Minehead, and actually looking into it, we mm. actually get around about hundred visiting the UK every year. Yeah, interestingly, yeah, it, so it, it's not it's not uncommon to see them. I'm not sure in the they've UK. bred. They've tried to breed, I believe, but I don't know if they were actually successfully bred in the UK. But that's one with climate change, you know, fingers crossed we'll get them because, you know, for a bird, they are pretty good. They are, they are, to be fair. And they mainly occur like when when we do see them, it is normally in kind of the south and the east. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it might be that I think I've picked up, there were four sightings in the same day in the Somerset Bristol area. It's probably the same bird, but actually I said sightings over probably about four or five days, but all Somerset Bristol. So it, it is i'm sorry it probably was the same bird yeah um, it's likely isn't it yeah do you, know, do you know the first two poo i saw was i've never seen them in the uk must have been lanzarote um and i kept seeing them flying over high up high i think i'll never get a photo um I'd, I'd gone to um check out a a lagoon which had been built on it turned out when i got there walking back walked past the five-star hotel and of those that know lanzarote's the canary islands and it's a basically a desert most of the island um so any water body collects a lot of life um and there was a four or five star hotel and they had a pristine lawn and sat in the middle of it was a hoopoo <laughs> so got me full 500 mil lens um a sigma zoomy thing um and i took a couple of pictures and i crawled closer and i thought you know what i'm gonna go on the grass they could if they throw me off then i'll leave and i got closer and closer and closer and closer and I realised I got to 300 mil, and I had a 300 mil prime in the bag, so I walked back and got that. At this point, my wife was getting a little embarrassed by her husband laying down um, <laughs> on the, which might was in girlfriend at the time, but laying down on the um, the lawn. And in the end, I got so close to this bird, I couldn't fit the tip of its beak and the tip of its crest in to the frame. Oh wow! Which was somewhat extraordinary, but yeah, that's an yeah. amazing bird. 
and that was, uh, as Chris Pangle put it, a trouser, trouser rubbing moment. <laughs> I was laying down, so I couldn't do it. But um, yeah, that was amazing. It's one of those things that sticks in the mind. Yeah. I did go back a couple of days later, and it was still there, but it wasn't quite as tame that time. But, mm. Yeah. But I think hopefully, you know, for Robin and Alan, that kind of helps. Yes, you know, sorry, I can't be more detailed on those. But yeah, there does appear to be quite often, every year there seems to be, or you get the migrants go the wrong way down the Atlantic, but you also get ones that go completely wrong direction for some reason. Um, in spring, you get hoopoos when they overshoot more than um, sort of, you know, more than go the wrong direction. So they'll be heading for France from Africa um, mm. and they'll overshoot and end up here. I guess winds play a, a big role as well, you know, if they get caught up. Oh, yeah you know, in unsuspecting winds. But, but like I said, I, th- I think we could probably cover like migratory birds and overwintering birds. Mm. We actually do a whole episode on those. Yeah, we could. We'll have to do one on sort of how things hibernate as well and stuff, I think. Yeah, that'd be a big one to do, especially going into winter as well. Definitely. Because yes. I think that, I think there'll be a few surprises in there for people as well. Maybe we should do that yeah. for the next one, hibernation. Yeah, and things that people say hibernate and don't. Yeah. Which is the definition, the true definition of hibernation. Yeah. Mm. Right. Shall we move on to the wildlife news now? Do you think? I think that's. A qu- I think yeah, one. yeah. So we have a what's been going on in the news this week. Um, do you want Do you want to start? Um, mine might end up being a bit ranty, so you might uh, want to start. I think. Okay. I'll start then. Yeah. Um, so we, I've got a couple of good news stories, but actually I'm going to leave those towards the end so that we can end on a good news story because I think it's yeah. always nice to end on a good news story. Um, it was actually a news article. I think it came out a couple of days ago. Um, I actually only came across it today, but there's you know, some worrying news that the floods are actually spreading Japanese knotweed. Um, there was a survey surveys done on wildlife trust reserves after flooding have found that the rhizomes have actually oh. turned up in places that they weren't there before for, you know following um, significant flooding and you know it's, it's something that's being I believe they're now keeping an eye on because where we're getting these you know massive floods it is and it's not just Japanese knotweed I mean there's a lot of other um, you know non-native species um, alien species that are being carried the same way um, with the flooding that you know they're turning up in places that they've never been recorded before um, following flooding um, which is a bit of a concern yeah yeah that's nasty stuff Japanese knotweed especially if you're um, around the river if you've got um, Himalayan Bolton as well I think that was another one that was actually on the list yeah. where they're saying it's starting to turn up places that but at least that's evolved to take advantage of that the seeds fall into the river and float downstream and mm. um yeah it's a bit of a nightmare that it's tough the, the biggest problem with himalayan balsam is it swamps everything in the summer and then this time of year it dies back to nothing and then you've got a whole um, bank of a river with no vegetation holding it together and mm. you get a flood event and oh the river's yeah. full of soil bank erosion all sorts of problems come up from it yeah it's nasty stuff but yeah uh, Japanese knotweed you just can't get rid of it no, it's it's all underground rhizomes. Yeah, isn't it? yeah well, one fragment. Just... I think you can't get house insurance in some places now. If your next door neighbour's got it in their garden, it's that bad because yeah. it will just come up through concrete and everything. And the and... I know the the rule from some of the stuff that I've some work that I was doing last year looking at 
habitat creation along canal restoration um, mm. work. You know, in anywhere that's got it, it's you know, you have to have special light. You have to get people in to clear it. The special licenses mm. you need to remove it. Then you have to go back and check that area. Mm. You know, consecutive years, and it has to be disposed of correctly. Um, yeah, it is. It is a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I I helped clear a pond of crash. Well, I say clear a pond of crashula. It's a New Zealand stone crop, and that's it's a bit like the the uh, knotweed one fragment and literally the crescent is the worst it, it sort of it'll dry out a pond when it, it just takes over and uh, and but literally one centimeter of root or one leaf um will float to the edge of the pond and come and it'll come back with a vengeance um, but mm. we cleared we cleared it and we buried it in the middle of a compost heap with tons of grass on top so it'll rot down because you either have to burn it or compost it and you have to stop it getting into the environment obviously which we have so yeah that's one thing, but yeah, we've got oh, there's both Himalayan balsam on the side and uh, giant hogweed as well, just to add to the fun. But yeah, that's, a, that's another one that has special removal licenses. But yeah, so that that was one kind of news news bit that I picked up mm. this week. I mean, we've got another couple of, of um, good news stories actually. Well, I I think they're both good news stories, but um, I think over to you, Neil, for yours. Let's yeah, uh, yes, um, hit us with it. It's I spotted it, um, I can't remember how I came across it, and then I, I quickly Googled it. Um, the Angling Trusts are up to their um, Let's Cull the Cormorants again. Uh, for those that missed it, I think it was last winter, um, I, I caused them a bit of mischief when I shared the fact that there um, there was a government consultation um, uh, to try and get cormorants culled in the UK. Because um, if you've got an artificial fishery, they can cause, especially, they can cause some big issues because of the fish are in unnaturally high numbers. Um, there's no of them to hide, and the cormorants dive in and just go nuts, basically. Um, there's been quite a bit of scientific work done on them, not, not enough really, to be honest. As always, the case of these sort of things. Um, but the general consensus is, if you've got a natural river with natural cover, they're not an issue. Generally, there's obviously exceptions to all this. Um, but they they were getting anglers to report last year. This is um, how many cormorants they've seen, and you know they're, they're so open to abuse that sort of thing. You know they could say they saw five thousand when they saw two hundred. You know, mm. um, and um, people got hold of it, and some people started um, uh, decided they were going to make up numbers and just try and ruin the thing or whatever, which I can't say I really agree with, but. Um, I posted about it and said, you know, where's the scientific evidence for this? Um, last time they did a cull here, it didn't really seem to do too much, um, apart from reduce the breeding numbers um, in Denmark and places because their their birds overwinter here. Um, and makes kind of makes a mockery of us moaning about Malta shooting our turtle doves a bit if we're shooting someone else's breeding birds. But um, uh, they, I mean, it's a long story. I don't want to, it's probably a whole podcast in itself. Um, they ignored me and then more and more people retweeted me. Then Chris Packham picked up on the story and then they responded to me after a hundred retweets telling me that I was wrong with nothing to back it up. Basically. <laughs> Just, um, and when I pointed to, to, you know, the scientific evidence does not short what you say, Neil, and I sent them the scientific paper, no response as you probably expect. It's a real shame because there's some really nice anglers. Um, I think the angling trust can be summed up 
quite nicely by the fact they've got something like 10,000 members, 20,000, something like that. And there's something like a million anglers in the UK, which, you know, yeah. you compare that to the Wildlife Trust and the RFB have got like a million members each. It sort of uh, sums up um, perhaps the a- attitude of many anglers towards them. Um, they did. They have done. The sad thing is they've done some good work. Um uh, sort of trying to get water, the water cleaned up in rivers. Um, I think they were partly behind taking the government to the EU courts last year or year before because the government aren't doing enough to clean up rivers. But that's something we spoke about last episode. It's probably again another podcast in itself. Yep. But the, the list is growing. <laughs> yeah. The disappointing thing is, um, uh, some of you may be familiar with uh, uh, what they called uh, Chris Packham's Wild Justice. That's Mark Avery and all that lot. Um, they challenged Natural England because people are using a general license um, for recreation, basically. A general license is a license you get for Natural England to control pest species, so wood pigeons, um, oh, think, uh, crows, and stuff like that. That uh, you know, a, a, pe- a pest. I use that. I hate to use that word, but that's what the, the legal definition is. Um, that are a threat to livestock and stuff like that, um, and. I'm not sure how it works. I think the RSVB may be able to get... The RSVB have to get one if they want to control... Um, or any conservation body. If they want to control, say, crows that are predating rare birds and stuff. Um, but there are... The general licence doesn't have a set limit of how many you can kill and stuff like that. It's a bit more open to interpretation, I think, the way he's putting it. Mm. Um, so what they were pushing for a cull of 3,000 birds across the country, um, which, you know, how that's enforced, I'll never know. But... Um, now they want the court there's a consultation naturally going to put out in response to partly because there's basically general licenses were all recalled like earlier this year which caused slight anarchy everyone blamed chris packham he got death threats and everything like that even though it was a natural england and the court's decision not his um and i don't think anyone expected that result anyway um but they're now doing a review of the general licenses and asking people for their opinions um and um, the angling trusts have done a thing that are filling the form for you and it sort of quotes one study as, you know, rather than look at all the scientific studies on cormorants, one study with a soundbite that suits their agenda, basically. And it's, yeah, I'm not saying there's no yeah. case to cormorants, but getting them on the general license is just a recipe for people to just start getting pot shots at them and slaughtering far too many. And just yeah. becomes open season, which is not going to be yeah. productive at no. all. And it's going to make people hate anglers. It really yeah. will which is sad because um, I can think of two or three examples where anglers do a lot of good work helping maintain habitat. Whatever you think of the ethics of, you know, catching fish and all that kind of thing, we'll put that to one side. From pure conservation, you know, they're doing work that other people aren't doing. They're monitoring the river, you know, um, river fly project. It's anglers monitoring if there's any pollution outflow and they look at the invertebrates to see if their water quality is still good, even they can't see any pollution. If there's a pollution event on a river, it's almost always an angler that reports it. You know, yeah, I mean, they, they do a lot they, of the work, and the angling trust to make them look. Don't they? The angling trust are making them look bad, basically, which I think is really sad because they also yeah. do some good work, but they're just undermining it with this silly idea. But yeah, hopefully they won't get Not it. Good. But that's Not enough good, of me ranting. Should we go on to a nicer <laughs> story now? Yeah, so we've got a couple of good news stories. Um, now, I think actually Neil and I have picked up on the same one. So I'll let Neil talk about that one. And I've got another one from, from here um, before we go on to a little bit of news about the UK podcast. So do you want to do the, the beaver story? Because I think we both picked yeah. up on that one, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, more beavers. Now, the one thing that annoys me with these stories is, is beavers released, but they're not 
released. They're in a cage, a big pen. Um, we yet again in the big pen. Um, there are beavers on the River Tay, but they're being slaughtered because anyone can get a license to shoot them. That's another <laughs> another no. issue. Um, but there's quite a few now. There's one in Essex. There's one one or one in Kent. Um, uh, one in Devon, possibly two in Devon, uh, where they're basically in a large. Oh, Forest of Dean's got one as well, isn't it? And um, yeah. basically, beavers are released into a big enclosure um, and let you know big enough for them to do what they want. Uh, cut, you know, gnawing down trees. They're not they don't cut down trees; they coppice them, so they regrow and then they get lots of fresh growth um, and do their um, landscape management. So they do it for us, um, and they're looking at. I think. Where were they? I can't remember where they were. Now one's Exmoor, uh, wasn't it? I think one's Exmoor, and I can't remember where the other one was. Mm. Um, but it's it's another two pairs that they're mm. looking at releasing um, to help with tackle flooding and to boost uh, wildlife and biodiversity. Yeah, I mean, there's a I forget the exact numbers, but the one in Devon, which is one of the first ones, um, they did a study the first year, and there's one clump of frog spawn, mm. and within three years there was over two hundred. Yeah, so it just shows you how wonderful these mammals are yes they can they may cause some problems in some areas um but this is where we need to look at how we manage our rivers more than you know this is causing if, if we farming up to the edge of rivers and building up to the edge of rivers it's just a recipe for disaster anyway because of soil erosion and various other things so if we don't build too close for the beavers to be an issue we can you know benefit a lot of wildlife that way yeah i mean they're, they're, they're good definitely yeah definitely i'm sure i posted about that that story somewhere on my facebook page but i can't see it anywhere now i'll let i'll let you have a look for that and oh, i'm is. gonna just um go on then here go we on. go right uh nature's engineers introduced to hollycoat estate on exmoor uh, in oh no, enclosures at hollycoat estate on exmoor in somerset and another group will arrive in valewood on a blackdown so there's one in somerset Blackdown Estate on the border of West Sussex and Surrey. Oh, that's nearer me than you. Yeah. Yeah. So there's already one in, yeah, we go Forest of Dean, Gloucestershire. Um, and yeah, and the wild ones I've mentioned. And there are wild ones in Devon on the River Otter, which always amuses me, which has otters as well. Um, yes. Yeah, it does. But um, <laughs> unfortunately, beavers, isn't it? I don't want to go all negative, but um, it does seem like in all walks of life, in angling, there seems to be a streak of idiots that make all the others look bad. Um, I was talking to a, a local angler who um, he seemed to be quite you know up on things and he said he went to a meeting where they explained about beaver reintroduction and how it's good um, and right at the end of the meeting this bloke turned around to him and went yeah I don't believe any of that I don't want beavers eating my fish that would be the herbivores that eat vegetation and don't even touch fish yeah but, uh, mm. unfortunately there's a lot of um, the NFU and again the angling trust um, and the Game Wildlife Conservation Trust, but let's not mention those, um, are all massively anti-beaver for some reason, and it's it's just bizarre. But there we go. It's crazy, isn't it? But anyway, let go. Just get to your nice good news story. So the other one's actually from here, uh, well, from not too far from me, and it was actually um, it was a a quarry supplier in Swindon has actually won an award for creating wildlife habitat um, in the Cotswold Water Park, which I think is just you know it's lovely. They're they're actually um i think they're restoring habitat um yeah. in the area which i think is just fantastic because it's you know one of these um uh, you know big companies actually doing something really positive um and helping you know helping our wildlife and creating creating space for it and creating habitat which i think is just 
Yeah, absolutely fantastic, really. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so you say good on them. Congratulations to them. Yeah, quarries can be brilliant. I mean, um, Chaffer Gorge, which is um, in the quarries next to um, Lakeside in Essex, the big shopping centre, you've got Lakeside in the middle and um, they built on all the land around it, but they couldn't build in the quarries. Um, so they so they very generously turned them into nature reserves. Um, and the biggest cliff in Essex is there. I think it's 80 metres tall. <laughs> so it's not on the <laughs> coast in Essex. It's actually the, I've got more coastline than any other, but our biggest cliff isn't on the coast. Um, and the warden and the volunteer team, they work their butt off. Um, mm. Obviously, it's an urban nature reserve, so they have all the fun with, you know, graffiti and vandalism and that kind of stuff. Um, but the orchids and stuff they get there and vertebrates is amazing. And the freshwater life in the lake. Um, so they're chalk quarries. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're really good habitats. So, so there's a little bit of uh, news from kind of the, around the wildlife world for you for this week yeah. as well. Yeah. So we've got a bit of news um, with regards to our UK wildlife podcast. And we actually, we were chatting about it and we thought that whereas we do have our own um, Twitter and Facebook pages that you can you know, certainly still contact us through and get hold of us. And you can see all the stuff that we're doing individually um, through those. We've actually decided to give UK wildlife podcast its own fa- po- podcast, podcast, its we own Facebook page. <laughs> the, to be honest the number of times i've written podcast instead of podcast um it now has its own twitter handle so you can find us at uk wildlife pod or if you just type in uk wildlife podcast it should come up and it now has its own facebook page at uk wildlife podcast as well so you can um hopefully join us on there and i said if you've got any questions do please you know send them through to us anything you want us to cover um but we thought be yeah, really good place to actually share all the the UK wildlife podcast stuff as well to give it its own its own home. Yeah, and in theory, if I've set everything up right, when I upload it, it should automatically post onto those, so you'll get it instantly on those social media accounts. Although we're still sharing on our own ones. Um, yeah, we will. Yeah. So I've got mine are UK underscore wildlife on Twitter and Pondman UK on Twitter, um, and likewise uh, Facebook. It's UK wildlife one word. And Pondman UK, one word. And, and Neil, yeah, you know, go and Instagram is Neil underscore UK underscore wildlife, I believe. It's really you, should, down. you really should. You should know your Instagram by now, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> and mine's um, so Twitter. You can find me at Vixpix, uh, Frog Lady Vic, and Forgotten Little Creatures. On Facebook, it's just the one page. Just type in Vixpix, and it will pop up there. And on Instagram. I'm Victoria.Hillman and also Forgotten Little Creatures as well, which is my ongoing project to celebrate all the little cool things we have mm. on this planet. Did you see, uh, slightly Davian, did you see the snail my friend tagged you in? Friend I Dave? did, yes. Nice, wasn't it? Yeah, really nice. You'll probably be pleased I mentioned him. I'll edit this out. <laughs> I don't want to please him. <laughs> don't, don't mention Dave, don't mention Dave. Don't, don't mention Dave. <laughs> Just mention uh, the snail. Some yeah, the weird snail. guy tagged me in a post with a picture of a snail. Really <laughs> nice that. picture. <laughs> he is weird. He, he thinks gannets are called on the fulmers. But that's the subject for another podcast. We might get him on for a guest on that, I think. Yeah. And you can judge which one's right. It's fulmer. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so we sign off now. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you can find the podcast on www.uk-wildlife.co.uk, but you probably know that if you listen to it. But there we go. Right, and we're on Apple Podcasts now. Right, sign off now. Yay. Brilliant. Yeah, so, yeah, and then, like I said, any questions, please do 
oh, yeah. send them our way. More than happy to answer them for you. We'll try yeah. to anyway. And thanks for listening. All right. Cheers. Till next time. Bye. Bye.